Now, a reading from the gospel according to Mark. The Pharisees and some legal experts from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. They saw some of his disciples eating food with unclean hands. They were eating without first ritually purifying their hands through washing. The Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat without first washing their hands carefully. This is a way of observing the rules handed down by the elders. Upon returning from the marketplace, they don't eat without first immersing themselves. They have observed many other rules that have been handed down, such as the washing of cups, jugs, pans, and sleeping mats. So the Pharisees and legal experts asked Jesus, Why are your disciples not living according to the rules handed down by the elders, but instead eat food with ritually unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah really knew what he was talking about when he prophesied about you hypocrites. He wrote, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is empty since they teach instructions that are human words. You ignore God's commandments while holding on to rules created by humans and handed down to you. Then Jesus called the crowd again and said, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, nothing outside of a person can enter and contaminate a person in God's sight. Rather, the things that come out of a person contaminate the person. It's from the inside, from the human heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual sins, thefts, murders, adultery, greed, evil actions, deceit, unrestrained immorality, envy, insults, arrogance, and foolishness. All these evil things come from the inside and contaminate a person in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. The other day, I saw an article that a friend of mine posted on Facebook. It was an opinion piece about the use of the phrase, hey guys, when addressing a group of people, like, hey guys, over here, or hey guys, listen up. The article made the point that if, as a society, if we're going to keep moving away from male-centric language, perhaps we shouldn't use that phrase and inadvertently group everyone together as guys. The author suggested we adopt some other plural, gender, neutral word for a group of people. And this is actually something I thought about myself, and I thought the article made some good points. But I don't know about y'all, but as a general rule, I try to stay away from social media arguments. A lot of people enjoy posting their opinions and viewpoints, uh, whether it's to express themselves, convince others of their views, or argue for the sake of arguing. Whatever the case may be, I try to stay out of it. Not because I don't have opinions myself or that I'm not willing to talk about them. I just don't think arguing over Facebook will get anybody anywhere. Maybe it does sometimes, but not usually. And I don't believe my friend was trying to start an argument. They just wanted to share the article as food for thought. But me being me, always trying to share a silly joke with my friends, I commented on the post and said, you know, the tried and true southern y'all would work as a great substitute. You know, as in, hey y'all, or how's y'all's mama? 
I posted the comment and went about my day. Next thing I know, I'm reading replies from friends of my friend. What? Why would we use y'all? That's so Southern. It's not even a real word. It's made up. Wanting to clarify and ease the tension, not debate, I commented back and said, hey, you know I was mostly joking, right? One of the friends replied, oh, I know, but y'all is such a dumb word. It's made up. I don't even see why we should worry about this to begin with. Why can't we just say what we want to say? Do you see why I try to stay out of it? The article was trying to make the point that the words we use to address people matter. Even the smallest and simplest phrases that we use without a second thought. And the friends of my friend were arguing against that. Yet they seemed to have plenty of problems with the word y'all because they weren't Southern. They didn't identify with the people and culture that produced that word and were offended by the idea of being grouped together with them. Almost as if they were females being offended by being addressed as guys. Funny how that works sometimes. But I don't mean to call them out, especially from the pulpit. But their disagreement, I think, proved the article's point. Words matter to people. Words matter not just because they communicate how we view people or our feelings towards them, but they equally shape and are shaped by our actions and and intentions as well. Our words and actions shape who we are as people and affects how we relate to the world around us. In this morning's scripture, Jesus puts this as the things that come out of us. James tells us that we should be slow to speak, and measure our words carefully. While not exactly the same message, both of these passages are two sides of the same coin. Their messages come from the same basic idea. A life of faith calls for intentionality, which begins from the very depths of ourselves, our hearts. As followers of Jesus, we're called to take great care of what we say and what we do by constantly examining the intentions of our hearts and how that's communicated to other people. Are we communicating to others our love for God and our love for them? Or are we communicating love for our traditions and ourselves? This story from Mark stems from one fundamental question. What stands as the word of God and what stands as mere human tradition? For the Pharisees and legal experts, this hand-washing ritual was God's command. It was living into God's intention for God's people to live holy and pure lives. But Jesus is saying that they are too caught up in that. As one commentator put it, they were majoring in the minors. Jesus even invokes the prophet Isaiah who had similar hang-ups with the Jewish people in his time telling them that even though they think they're close to God by upholding these ritualistic acts, their hearts or the intentions behind their actions are far from God. Even though they might be doing the right things, they're not actually doing it for the right reasons. According to Jesus, the religious leaders have lost touch with what lies underneath the rules and rituals. Love of God and neighbor, striving for justice peace and closeness with God. The laws and rituals are supposed to be better tools to execute that, but the tools aren't being used wisely. 
This was important for Mark to highlight as a key teaching in Jesus' ministry because of what it meant to the early post-Easter church. A big debate was happening amongst the early followers of Jesus in the wider Jewish community. As they welcomed more and more Gentiles or non-Jewish people into the fold, they had to renegotiate their Jewish identity in light of the reality of Jesus' resurrection. Eugene Boring says this was the question of the time. Do we interpret the will of God as given to us in the Torah and interpreted through the oral tradition, or do we interpret the will of God as given to us in the Torah and interpreted by Jesus, who we now claim as the authority and ultimate revelation of God's will? According to Mark, followers of Jesus are to default to what he taught. In this teaching, Jesus tells the people that it didn't matter whether or not the Gentiles adopted the rituals and purity codes. Following God's law was not about the ritual act itself, but the intention behind the act. Jesus communicates this by giving this teaching. Nothing outside of a person can enter and contaminate them in God's sight. Rather, the things that come out of a person contaminate them. It's from the inside, the human heart, that Wrong and evil intentions come like sexual sins and thefts, murders, greed, and any other atrocity. It's the things we do and the things we say that defile us, not the food we eat or the people we interact with. All people are capable of that, both Jew and Gentile alike. So why not welcome everyone into the church? This teaching of Jesus carries many implications for us as the church today. It matters for who we welcome into our community and how we communicate that welcome, who we place into positions of leadership, what types of things we spend our budget on and how we make use of our resources, what type of language we use in our worship liturgy or on our website, how we support those in our community through either sharing in their grief during a difficult time or celebrating with them in a time of joy. All these things communicate to the people around us what we stand for and who we claim devotion to. As people of faith, we claim devotion to God and following the way of Jesus. This is one of Jesus' tougher teachings. This sharp attentive to our speech and actions is not an easy task. It's tr- and it's true that people of faith often stumble when living it out. But it's important that we wrestle with this and keep trying as often as we can. James makes note of this in part of the letter that we read this morning. James notes that the intentions of the heart don't just affect our speech, they affect our actions as well. James tells the community to be doers of the word and not just hearers. As the other side of the coin to what Jesus says of the Pharisees, James states that anyone who doesn't put the word into practice is like someone who looks in a mirror and walks away, only to immediately forget what they look like. They hear God's word being spoken into their lives, but they immediately lose the meaning behind it by not putting it into practice. They know it in an intellectual sense, but not in an experienced way. It's the difference between being a student in the classroom and being an intern at or at a full-time job, you learn a different set of skills by actually doing it rather than just reading and thinking about it. 
Experiencing God's word and not just listening to it allows it to soak in and permeate the depths of our beings. We learn it and know it in a different kind of way. Our lives and our hearts become more oriented around God's word and it envelops us more and more each day. These two passages raise a lot of questions for us as the body of Christ. As we move forward as a congregation and discern new places God is calling us, how does the language we use as a church and the actions we take reveal the true intentions that lie underneath it all? Are we faithfully serving God or faithfully serving ourselves? Again, this is tough. It's hard to know how exactly we measure ourselves according to our words and actions and intentions. If you're anything like me, it also comes with a lot of second-guessing and a lot of overthinking about whether or not the voice inside my head is my own or God's. But when I think all else fails, we go back to what Jesus says the entire law and prophets hang on. Love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. If anything, we're called to try our best to do that. Love God, love everyone, and love ourselves. Any word or action that might attempt to demean or devalue our neighbor and not communicate the love of God to them might reveal something about our intentions and something we need to examine further in prayer and meditation. But let's always remember to give grace freely, to be gentle and encouraging with both each other and ourselves. To that point, there's another phrase James includes in his letter that I think is worth lifting up as we continue to reflect together. He says that as we put our faith into practice, we should welcome the word planted deep inside us, the very word that is able to save us. What James is saying is that while we as human beings are certainly prone to sin and capable of a lot of bad things, that does not mean God has forsaken us or that we are completely incapable of any good. What James seems to be saying is that implanted within us is not just the capacity for bad, but also the capacity for good. We have the capacity for good things because God has planted it deep inside of us. God's word of love and grace is planted within us so that as we strive to faithfully live into the call God has placed on our lives, we are empowered to become more and more the people God intends us to be. We can cultivate God's word inside us and seek to let it grow despite all the weeds and thickets of sin that attempt to overtake it. It's what comes out of us that defiles, yes. But what comes out of us can also make us more and more like Jesus every day. This is not because of anything we've done or anything we can accomplish, but because out of pure love and grace, we're created as God's own. We are all made in God's own image and called into new ways of speaking, acting, and being. If we focus on that, we might just be off to a good start. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your words of Scripture. We're thankful that we have them to guide our living, to transform us more and more into the people you've called us to be. Help us to discern the places you're calling us to go. Help us to weigh our words and our actions carefully 
so that every aspect of our lives may be more and more in sync with your will. And help us to always remember that we can do none of this apart from you, the author of love and reckless giver of grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.